Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father, from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might rescue us from this present evil world, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That portion of God's word, which we shall consider this morning, is the gospel lesson appointed a few moments ago. And we take from a parallel text in Mark these words of Jesus to Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. Do not be afraid, only believe. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, in you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Amen. It's written in 2 Kings by the prophet Jeremiah that, Elisha, that the prophet Elisha died and they buried him. And it happened that the Moabites were making raids on Israel and they came upon a group of men who were burying a man and the men needed to flee. And so instead of burying a new grave, they threw his body into the grave of Elisha, the prophet who had just died. And once the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha. He revived and he stood up on his feet. Dead man made a dead man live. When Elisha was alive, there was a time he used to stay at the Shunammite woman's house and with her husband and they made an extra room for him. And he asked her, what is there that I could give you because you are so kind to me? And she said, well, we've never had a child. So he prayed to God, and God gave them a child. But then, when the child was a, a boy, he went out into the field and said, my head, my head, and he fell down, dead. And the Shunammite woman went to Elisha and said, I never asked for this. You gave me joy only to take it away. And Elisha went to, his, went to her house, and he laid down on the boy, and he breathed on him once and then twice, and the boy lived. Now, it is interesting that the dead Elisha raised the dead more easily than the live Elisha. And this is a type and foreshadowing of the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to raise the dead. All Jesus did was touch a 12-year-old girl's hand and say, Arise, and she came to life. But it is when Jesus died that his power over death was shown to be the most powerful because the earth shook and the graves of many of the saints were opened and they appeared to the disciples in Jerusalem. But more than this, it is the flesh of the crucified that gives us life. It is the death of Christ that destroys death. Now, none of us understands death. People come up with all sorts of fanciful ways of trying to learn about it. They'll say that there's reincarnation and that it's the eternal cycle of constantly just going and going and going. But they have no evidence for this. Death comes and darkens the light of the eyes, deafens the ears, cripples the limbs, mutes the tongue, and the soul returns to its make. We see life disappear, and with it all that God gave us through that life. To have a 12-year-old daughter, as I do, as Jairus' little was, little, little child was, is a precious thing. 
but then to have that child sick to the point of death. And then while Jesus is returning, as we learn in Mark, his servants came to tell Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore. She's dead. And at that moment, Jesus said to Jairus, against what his servants said, don't be afraid, only believe. Because it is faith, it is faith that we need in the face of death. It is faith that we need in life, because in the midst of life, we are in death. Many try to ignore this fact, that in every sin that you commit is death. In every grief and sorrow is a memory of death, or a fear of it. Faith is what we need, because all we can see in the face of death is the body decaying and cold, and the soul that filled the flesh is gone and can't speak to us. And there is nothing for our understanding to latch hold of for certainty except the loss of life. And that is finally all that people can understand on their own about death. It destroys life. Many, in trying to get over this fact, or maybe even avoid it, often title their funerals as a celebration of the life of someone. But it kind of ignores the problem that we're there to mourn death. It probably isn't good to just interrupt some sorrow that you see by acting as if it didn't happen. I would consider that to be rude. If I were mourning over the death of my daughter and someone says to me not to cry. But faith in Christ is not limited to our understanding because Jesus isn't limited to our understanding. Everybody thinks that they can make God into what they want him to be. That he must fit what their own expectations are or what the limits of their understanding are. But in doing so, they create an idol who isn't Jesus at all. The people didn't think that Jesus could do anything once death had taken his toll. Stop bothering him. Don't bother him. He can't do anything about it. Death is final. Death is the strongest and final enemy that nobody can overcome. But we may not limit God with our understanding. We may, not, we may not define him as if he can be defined. We may not call something impossible simply because we don't understand it. As if our understanding makes it real or possible. No, too often our own understanding stands in the way of knowing Jesus. And so faith must take the reins from our reason and hand them to Jesus to lead the way. Because Christ is not limited to a time and place. He is not confined to what people say is possible. It is our pride that tries to prevent Jesus from helping us. Too late. How many people have said those words? How many people still say them? There's too much sin. There's too much misery. He's long gone. I cannot see how he can be saved. He's dead. On his way to heal Jairus' daughter, Jesus is going there and there's a great crowd following him and pressing against him and there was a woman who had had this flow of blood hemorrhaging for 12 years who had, according to Mark, spent everything that she had. She had impoverished herself on doctors and they had only made it worse. All that man understood and researched, all of his knowledge couldn't help her. And yet she was in worse need than she was before. Imagine her situation. She couldn't enjoy life. She couldn't be with her husband. 
She couldn't have a marriage bed. She couldn't have children. She couldn't go to the temple because she was ceremonially unclean. She couldn't be around people. Now the temple comes to her. Do you understand? For 12 years, she could not go to the temple. She couldn't go to see the sacrifices, these festive, fun things where you learn God's word. She couldn't go to hear the preaching of the forgiveness of sins and the administration of the sacraments. But now the temple comes to her. It is written in Isaiah 6 that the prophet saw the Lord sitting on the throne. On the mercy seat is what it is, where the blood is sprinkled. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And Isaiah cried out, Woe is me! at the angel's words, because he had unclean lips and dwelt among a people of unclean lips. He was a sinner. And the angel said, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, of Sabaoth, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Now the train of the Lord's robe fills heaven and earth. It is not limited to a building. It fills the world where the Son of God entered to destroy sin and death. And this poor woman, who had suffered only, who had only suffered from what doctors understood, who had followed her understanding time and time again. Maybe you know people who have chronic illnesses, and a doctor says this, and they go and they have a little bit of hope, and then it disappears. Or someone who fights cancer and has hope, and then it disappears. He finds the hem of the Lord the hem of the robe of the Lord God Almighty within her grasp. If I only touch his robe, I will be healed. What nonsense. Isn't that a sad situation that someone so desperate would believe such a ridiculous thing? How could a robe heal? But she had despair of her understanding. Do you see? She, didn't, she had only her desperate need. She didn't understand anything. And it is when we are without hope in earthly things, only then can we grasp the heavenly. It is when we have nothing left that we can grasp what only Jesus can give and do. And the power to heal went out from Jesus and through his robe and into this hemorrhaging woman, and her wound within her was dried up and the flow of blood stopped. And Jesus felt the power leave him. And in Mark, it's, he's, it's, he turns around and asks, who touched him? And the disciples are like, there are people crowding all around you. And you're asking, who touched you? But then the woman came forward in fear and trembling and told him everything. All sorts of people were touching him, but only one touched him in faith. She was the one who needed him. Faith is born in your need. You will never trust in Jesus if you don't think you need him. You will never trust in him if you think that you need to do as much as he did. She could do nothing. No man could do anything for her. She needed only to take and to receive. And so Jesus calms her terror and amazement and said, Take courage. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has saved you. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Who are you to be afraid of a man who dies? What kind of a person are you being when you are afraid of a man who dies? What kind of a person are you being when you are afraid of sin and sickness and death? You need Jesus. You don't naturally have courage against these things. You don't. You naturally are overcome by them. Now I know it's, people say that young people don't think about death 
And maybe that's kind of true. You know, they talk about psychological development, and that's why you get 17-year-olds to join the army, because they don't realize the, the, the effects of what's actually going to happen to them. And that's kind of proved by experience, because admit it, teenage boys do some stupid things, right? I climbed a water tower when I was 18. I don't know why. But death is real. And every one of you who has ever felt guilt has felt death. Every one of you who has ever felt shame or fear, you have tasted death. In the face of this, you must have someone who is greater than any doctor, greater than what the schools can tell you. You have to have the one who has the power to heal you. You have to be able to not be afraid, but lay hold of that garment of Christ. Do not be afraid. Only believe. It may seem ridiculous. People mock faith. They say, oh, you believe in Jesus. I believe in the flying spaghetti monster. They say all sorts of stuff to mock you, to say your faith means nothing. you got no proof for that. They call you stupid for ignoring what your eyes can see and your mind can understand. To have Jesus come when the girl is dead already? They will laugh when Jesus says the girl is not dead but sleeping. But they will finally be astonished to see Jesus take hold of her hand, of that cold hand, and tell her little girl arise and she will rise from the dead. His life will flow into her body. But he calls it only a sleep because he can wake it. He can wake you from that sleep. And that under, and understanding has to be silent and faith must sing to God in praise. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger. So you need to take these two histories to heart. Hide them deep in the caverns of your conscience so that you may fight against all doubt that Jesus can help you against every one of your enemies. How many of us have loved ones who are dead in their sins and trespasses and cannot see any help for them? We can't see any help for them but in Jesus, we see hearts hardened by unbelief and sin and pride and nothing we can say can break that stone. And everything anyone else has ever done or said has never helped. The doctors have all failed. But when all the helpers failed, as the hymn goes, this man prevailed, the God-man and none other. And he lived for unbelievers and he died for unbelievers. He died for those who were dead. He came for those who were sinners bound for hell and judgment. He came with no doubt that what he was going to do would save you. How many of us have sins that we have fought against for years and years? Sometimes we get better. Sometimes the temptation overcomes us. And no advice can help us. People give us rules. Sometimes the advice just makes it worse. The law works wrath. You just build up more guilt and you get more afraid and the flesh just runs away from it because the flesh needs to die. Pride needs to die. And faith needs to be born. The doctors said, take this medicine, do this to the woman with her blood flowing and they only made it worse. And in these sins, we see life flowing away from us because that's what sin does. Think about it. Honor your father and your mother that it may be well with you. What do you lose? when you don't honor your father and your mother. I can tell you right now, some of my greatest regrets in life are not honoring my father and my mother as I should have. Look what happens 
When you fornicate outside of marriage, you lose something. You lose an innocence and a chastity, and you gain carnal desires that are harder and harder to control. Look what happens when you're greedy, and you keep things for yourself and don't share and give to others, or if, when you're lazy, and you steal time and money from people. Look what happens to your life when you tear people down behind your back, their backs. You lose friends, you lose trust, you lose confidence. You lose life. Life is flowing away from you. Because sin brings death. We see the good we've lost. We see sin rotting the good. We have pain in our souls that we can't rid ourselves of. Then Jesus comes walking by. And if you only touch the hem of his robe, you will be healed. If you only look at his works and know who he is, even one little work, even the edge of something he does, you will see why he came to this earth for you and for your salvation. If you only claim him as your only hope against guilt and shame and death and uncleanness, then you will be saved. His robe covers his body, which spoke and the storms were stilled, the leper cleansed, the bread multiplied, the cripples made whole, the water turned to wine, the dead raised. His robe covers the body which laid on his hand and which laid on his hand or his hand on the sick and healed them. It is as Jesus himself says in John 6, my flesh I will give for the life of the world. His flesh gives life. Our flesh dies and he comes with flesh that gives life. But you must know your need. And this is the biggest problem. It's the other doctors out there. It's the people saying, just, just give it up, she's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. They distract you. They say, just try to get over it. Concentrate on the joys of life. Work hard. I often ask college students, so what are you going to major in? And then I forget what they major in. Sorry. And then I say, is he going to get a job? Yeah. And what are you going to do? Well, hopefully maybe get married eventually. And then what? And then maybe have some kids. And then what? Maybe get promoted. And then what? Buy a camper vacation home, and then what? Have grandkids? Well, you can't have grandkids. Your kids can. And then what? I guess I die. Yeah. That's right. Take it with you. But you can take children with you who believe. And I think that one of the worst things is to see a loved one sick and dying because you're helpless. You can't do anything. You need to know that. That you can't do anything. You need to know your need. You need to know that sin isn't something you can handle. It's not just a behavioral issue that you can apply a few rules to and make your life better. It drains life out of you. The woman with the flow of blood couldn't be with her husband, couldn't have children, couldn't go to the temple, and death was drawing nearer every day. She was alienated from everyone that loved her and whom she wanted to love. This is what people want. Even, even Freddie Mercury, that sad sodomite, saying, I need somebody to love. Everybody does. So sin draws your life out of you. It destroys your relationship with God and with the ones you should love on earth. Life flows out of you as it flowed out of the young girl to the grief and tears and wails of those who loved her. But Jesus loved her with a love that is greater than what we can understand. It's greater than what Jairus could understand, but he followed him. He believed. 
Many press at Jesus to get help to be better people. There are entire denominations who say Jesus basically is just an example, and if you do like he did, then you'll overcome sin. Then you'll actually get to be, well, they think you can be a god. Then you'll be righteous. You might have to go to purgatory for a little while, or 10,000 years. Jesus is there just to help you knock off bad habits and give you your best life here on earth. To be more righteous and good by what you do. There was a woman who did not think that way. That if I only touch the hem of his robe, I will be saved. It's the same word, healed and saved. That is faith that is born in our need for help that we can't give ourselves. That is faith that is born in repentance for our sins that are too strong for us. For a death that we can't stop. That is faith that looks only to Jesus because there is no one else to help. And so repent. Don't stop it's not a one-time affair. Do not be proud and think that you can live in a flesh that by nature doesn't trust in God and not be soiled by this world. Let your faith look to Christ alone. Don't ask, how can I do this? I need to work myself into a better person. No. Only say, if I only touch him, if he only comes and lays his hand on my daughter, then there will be life, as the psalm says, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Life flows from Him. There is no life apart from Him. He created all things. In Him we live and move and have our being. It is foolish to seek for life from anybody who, except the one who gave it. And here is the one who gave it. So I say, I come to you, dear Jesus, to the crucified. And if Elisha's dead body could give life to the dead, then the body of Christ that died for me can give me life too. The blood and life that are flowing out of me are stopped by the blood that flows from your wounds. The sin that I see in me, see in me is washed by the water that flowed from your side and into my baptism to assure me that I am healed. I am alive from the death of sin. I am clean, not with anything that I have done, but with that power that flows from this God who is my brother. Before I thought I was too unclean to come to God. The unclean are barred from the temple. But now the temple has come to me his robe has entered this sinful world. His glory fills the heavens and the earth, and he has found me, a sinner, and made me his own. Because as many of us as were baptized into Christ, the scripture says, have put on Christ. His robe, his works, his righteousness, his obedience, his death that conquers death, his life that shines with glory that will never end. This now covers me, and I know that my soul is healed. And now even death has to be just a slumber, a sleep for me and all who trust in Jesus. This child is not dead, but sleeping. And let the devil, the world, and your flesh mock this. I know it's true. The little girl rose at Jesus' hand and word. So I will rise from the grave when I hear the voice of the Son of God, and I will live as I live by faith right now in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And when I cannot understand life, because it is beset with sin and death and doubt and powers beyond my control. And dear Jesus, teach me not to trust in my own understanding, but to follow you with Peter, James, and John into the room of the dead. Let me walk past the laughter, let me walk past the mockery of the world, the pride of my flesh, the lies of the devil. Let me go with the scriptures to wherever death rules and sin threatens. And I will by faith find you there with a knowledge that does not come from my own understanding. It comes to me in my need. 
and tells me, Dear child, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid that you have fallen before, because I carry you now. Don't be afraid of the death that is coming, because I have already conquered it. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Believe that the sin you mourn has been mourned enough already in me, Jesus says. And it cannot kill you now. Believe that the pain that you endure has already been borne already by me, he says. And I am drawing you to myself to abandon all others who can't help you, to teach you to cling to this robe of righteousness, to my works, to my mercy, to my love, to my power, to my forgiveness, yes, to my death and resurrection that are yours as much as they are mine, because you have laid hold of me, the Lord over sin and death and fear and sadness. So I will not be afraid. I will believe. I will believe until sorrow and sighing flee away. I will believe until the ransom of the Lord return to Zion with joy on their heads. I will believe when I come here and lay down my burdens at this altar and watch them all taken by Christ and removed and see my sins thrown into the depths of the sea. I will believe and not be afraid. I will rejoice. I will cling forever to Christ, my Savior, true. My Lord will leave me never, whatever he passes through. He rends death's iron chain. He breaks through sin and pain. He shatters hell's dark thrall. I follow him through all. Amen.